G'day and welcome to the In The Know, On The Go podcast produced by Humans of Agriculture. Our podcast is designed to get you across the things that matter in Aussie agribusiness in a way that's just, well, bloody easy to understand. Think of me as a friend, I, that is learning with you as we discover and chat about the topics from farm to fork and even beyond. Well, welcome back to the In The Know, On The Go podcast. We kind of cover things that try and get people across things that are happening in Australian agriculture, but in ways that you're learning from basically a friend. I've got a new friend today. One thing that's happening with us this year is Mills finally agreed that she'll do more talking on the microphone. (laughs) Mill, it's good to have you here. Oh, thanks. It's good to be here. So I guess for a bit of context, it's Valentine's Day week. There's some crazy stats of what people spend on love. Mm, It's actually unbelievable. And... We started talking quite a while ago that flower farming is kind of, I guess, an unknown industry and it's been on the radar of things we'd love to cover. I think this is probably just a little bit of a teaser, but you guys, um, yourself and Han, you went looking for people to sit down with. You might have got one rejection, which is very Valentine's (laughs) Day-esque. So um, thoughts and prayers with you guys. But then you found a cracker of a person to go and find. So tell me, like, what, what can we expect in the episode? Yeah, well, we did have a, a bit of a poor experience, but as fate would find it, we, we found Liv um, up at Malmesbury and and she was great, like so much respect for someone with such a creative flair and a passion for flowers. I think you can really expect that to shine through in a bit of an episode where it is a little bit different, um, but we're still dealing with an agricultural product at the end of the day, but it's just something that's it's really unique, I guess, in being flowers. Huge learnings in terms of the industry, and we'll put some links in the show notes to like where we got this research from, but I had no idea just how big the industry is. And so, Ollie, it's worth like over $800 million, the flower industry, which I thought was crazy. And around Valentine's Day, Aussies are going to spend almost $500 million on gifts, and most of them are flowers. It's insane. It's actually nuts. You know, like, what, so what sticks out to me there is that isn't the live export industry worth, say, a billion dollars? This little thing that we don't think so much about is a huge actual little um, economic driver in, in Aussie agriculture as well. Yeah, it's crazy. And like, I think something that really stuck out to me is when, well, where are all these like, flowers coming from? Around these peak periods like Valentine's Day and, and Mother's Day and things like that, up to 90% of them can be imported. But Liv speaks really well because that's changing a little bit, like what the consumers are actually wanting and where the trends are going. And so people aren't always after that really like perfect flower, I guess, and like the traditional red roses. They're more into the quirky, like perfectly imperfect. And it's interesting how the industry supposedly doesn't have a heap of like regulations. So it's actually been really difficult to find online as well. So I think going forward, this might ignite some conversations and anyone in our audience who does know like some of this stuff around the regulations for labelling and whatnot of like locally grown versus imported for flowers, like please reach out to us because we are like curious and we're still learning. So Mill, a few things that stuck out to me in it. There's kind of one quote or one part where Liv talks about kind of the love, not just for growing flowers, but also the end product that they are creating has so much emotion tied into it. And and also for so many like significant events for people, whether it's births, marriages, deaths, like flowers are really significant to people. I think that stood out. And I think the other part, I actually really like the way you interviewed here. You asked a few questions and I think what came across to me was that you were really kind of listening. There was only, I'll say, a few words that you said, which is actually really cool um, as an interviewer where it, it was how you giving Liv what she needs 
directing her and kind of guiding the conversation to things that you were curious about that I think we learn. And I think this is a really interesting kind of conversation starter for where we're going. Oh, thanks, all. I, I actually felt so naive to industry flowers. Like, for example, she spent like five years growing some flowers that she's only harvested 30 flowers from, like these actual plants five years ago. And so it's such a long-term investment of what she's doing. Well, let's get into it. So, Liv, we're in this beautiful creative space here. We're on Jaja Wurrung country. Can you tell me a little bit about this place, Malmesbury, and your home? Well, I've been on farm in Malmesbury here since 2003. So this is a third-generation mixed farming operation we've got here in Malmesbury. We have sheep, cattle, and then we also do some cropping as well. And then I grow a few little flowers and I'm slowly spreading the flowers out into the paddocks when my husband's not looking. (laughs) (laughs) And so take me back to that. I guess that I'm really interested in the decision-making for the business. As you said, we pass sheep and cattle on the way in, we see the crops. What was it that made you actually implement or plant flowers in the first instance? I guess flowers is my little thing. So Tim sort of runs everything else to do with the farm. And then I just love flowers. So I love how they make people feel when they receive them. I just love making them. They just make you feel good. They make people happy. And then growing flowers is even better. So I find when I'm creating something, it's even more special if I know I've actually grown that flower and then seen it the whole way from putting the seed in or the seedling and then to nurturing it, growing it, and then harvesting that flower and then arranging that flower and then passing that on to somebody else. So the flowers I grow here on the farm at Pemberley, I don't sell. So we have a large garden and then I have some rows of flowers in the paddock next to our Airbnb. But generally they're just for my creative use. So the more flowers I put in, I guess I like to work on large scale floral installations. So I started growing flowers, I guess, so I wouldn't have to buy as many flowers. So I was able to work on these large scale installations, I guess, without outlaying too much money. And so you're working, I guess, through the very beginning, the planting all the way through until when you say like you're putting together these creations, like what's what's the end destination? You're going through markets, your events? Yeah, so I work as a wedding and event florist. I've got a fabulous area here with lots of amazing little wedding venues, sort of beautiful wedding venues in Spring Hill. We've got a number of ones there. So yeah, I take on only a small number of weddings per year just to try and maintain a lifestyle work balance and I guess being there for the children, helping out on the farm. And I guess that fills my creative cup. So I try and do one wedding generally a month and then also to allow time for my, what I call my floral art projects. So doing exhibitions and just, I guess, experimenting and playing in the paddocks and creating floral art pieces just for fun, just for me, I guess. Have you always had that creative flair, that love for flowers? I actually wouldn't call myself creative at all. I definitely would. (laughs) (laughs) And I was really terrible at art back in high school. (laughs) So 
I guess I find I just have a vision. So we were chatting a little bit before about vision. I kind of just have a picture in my mind. I see something like I might see an old piece of machinery or like an old land cruiser and I'm like, wow, that would look really fabulous juxtaposed with yellow water law. I guess I just dream up these weird ideas and I can visualise things really easily and then I love just sort of creating and things don't always sort of, the vision I have in mind is not always exactly the end product but when I'm working with flowers the flowers kind of sounds weird but the flowers kind of tell me where to position them so my style I would say is kind of like wild organic rambling sort of representative nature so I don't like things to be too perfect I sort of like to work with the curves and the quirky stems and things of nature and place things where they tell me they want to go if that makes sense I have absolutely so much admiration for anyone with that creative flair. But for this business, like you mentioned the Airbnb as well, like it seems very diverse. Like what have flowers brought to the farming operation? I guess it's given me a sense of ownership on the farm. So it's given me something that's mine that I feel I'm contributing to the farm as well. And with growing our flowers, so my little flower rows that I have, my peonies and my dahlias, I have growing next to the Airbnb cottage. So I guess I'm envisaging in five or 10 years when the peonies are really established and things that guests will be able to picnic in that paddock and be able to experience that sort of beauty as well. Because it is beautiful and I'm not going to do it justice here in explaining it, but we're we're sitting on top of a little hill. We've got this beautiful water. It's a reservoir. Done this little shed up so that the, the doors are open. There's yeah, the sun shining in and it's just this beautiful, beautiful creative space. We are very blessed in this region. We're in this lovely sort of little lush, amazing sort of growing area where we uh, generally have a nice little touch of green most of the year around and we have beautiful rolling hills. So it is a really fabulous place to live. And then we've also got a fabulous balance between, I guess, city and country. So we are able to, we're just one hour out from Melbourne, we are able to duck down to Melbourne, catch the train really easily and it just takes an hour and then have the day in the city, get your city fix and then come back to the country and have all those benefits that living in the country gives you. Absolutely. And market access as well, I'm assuming. Yeah, so it's fabulous. As well as our amazing local growers we have around here, I try to use them as much as I can. But if I can't get what I need, it's always really easy to yeah pop down to the market once a week and grab what I need there as well. And also, I guess, being close to the city for opportunities with the floral art as well, exhibitions and things like the flowering garden show and various different things, yeah, that are sort of, you know, not too far away that I'm still able to participate in and then also have the benefits of being on the farm, growing my own stuff and then taking that stuff to the city. And people like growing flowers in the area, are they doing similar things to you? Is is events, like is there a huge demand for that? Yeah, so there's a great little growing group here in the Macedon Ranges. We have like lots and lots of fabulous little micro flower farms and more popping up all the time. So it's wonderful to have people in a close proximity that will grow things for me. So dahlias are one of the like in flower, in season flowers at the moment that lots of flower farms have around here. So it's all sort of seasonal sort of flowers that are sort of grown in this area around here and such fresh, like fabulous, as you can see behind us here, like. Yeah, these are are dahlias here. They are, yeah. Just like 
a fabulous product, like so perfect and the quality and the freshness is just, I guess, not what you would get if you're buying something from the market and it's already a few days old. It's already travelled quite a few flat, what we call flower miles, which is the distance from where it was grown to where it ends up. So like I've got a lovely relationship with five or six growers in the area here and we sort of try and support each other and help each other out and they know sort of what sort of flowers that I like, what sort of stems I like, what sort of stem length. They know that I like things that are a little quirky, maybe a little different that other florists perhaps wouldn't like. They're the things that I really gravitate to and they sort of keep them aside for me or they'll let me know when they've got things, which is wonderful to help and support each other in that respect. And even just like when when I'm doing a wedding or when I'm doing an installation or work tagging, those flower growers, like that's a huge thing for them. So they get such a, I guess they really love seeing where their end product has ended up. And I guess that helps with the promoting of their business as well as mine as well. So we sort of try and help and support each other as much as possible. And then those little flower growers within themselves have a lovely relationship. And perhaps if they don't have their one bucket short of something in an order, they sort of work together to put an order together if need be. So it's just like a wonderful community sort of area and something that we're, I guess I'm blessed to be part of yeah this little flower community hey it's nick here sheep farmer and rabobank regional client council member i'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community well-being and build strong local economies my job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives those that support education in ag rural health sustainability and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision, and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www.rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. It's a great little collective. And when you're talking about like orders, like for other growers around this area, who's buying them? Like, where are they going to next? So lots of different places. So lots of the growers sell directly to florists. Lots of the growers also sell directly to event florists that, or wedding and event florists that perhaps don't have a shop as such but work like me from home, in a barn, in a studio. So you'll find most wedding and event florists don't have a shop because that then limits them going out and doing functions because they have to man the shop or pay for someone to obviously hold the fort while they go out and create create on site, I guess. So they supply directly to them. They, lots of them also do markets themselves. So go to, we have lots of fabulous farmers markets in the area here. So you'll often find one or two of the growers at all of the markets throughout the Macedon Ranges with their beautiful seasonal flowers that they've just literally picked the night before, bunched up, ready for people to grab on Saturday or Sunday morning. And then also lots of the flowers as well. Some of the uh, growers sell to little independent grocery stores, so li like little IGAs and things like that. They will sell flowers there as well. Can you tell me about like soil is, you know, the core for any agricultural production. For flowers, like what influence does it have? What, is it, what does it mean and what soils are here? 
Well, obviously soil has a huge part to play in how well, first of all, your flowers grow and then I guess the size of the bloom and how many blooms you get off a particular plant, I guess correlating to how healthy the plant is. So like I said before, we have like a lovely, reasonably consistent, fairly high rainfall in this area, although that being said, the last 12 months or so we have had quite a bit of hail, like everyone else, some flooding. So that has impacted obviously lots of growers and their soil. Lots of sort of crops did get washed out last year of flowers and things. Lots of the flower farms around here as well tend to try to do no dig gardens. So basically that's where you sort of try not to dig the garden bed before you plant your plant or your flower, I guess, with the hope that that then doesn't disturb the weeds. So they find that they get less weeds if they plant on top without digging the whole bed, disturbing the soil. They sort of build the bed up and then plant within that. Zero tuber farming. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And how is it, how is it changing? Like, so you can be quirky and, and creative. Not everyone's after that, you know, perfect flower now. How is that I guess, developing? Like, what are people wanting? So there's a real trend perhaps in the last five years or so, particularly in the last three years, I've noticed, to, like you were saying, less of a perfect traditional arrangement, I guess, and to something that is a little more organic, a little bit more garden-esque, I sort of call it, a little bit more um, representative of how things would grow in nature. So slightly imperfect, like we were saying before, maybe curvy stems. There's a trend back to traditional sort of old school sort of um, heirloom flowers, perhaps like Grandma used to have in her garden like dahlias and foxgloves and gladioles and bearded iris and daphne, all of these sort of really old school sort of plants and like lilac that um, have that sense of nostalgia, I guess, and I guess evoke emotion in people because that's really what flowers are about, evoking emotion and um, conveying a message and through the flowers. They are all making like a huge big resurgence and so traditional imported roses and things like that not as popular anymore people love sort of garden sort of roses so it's more of that I guess getting back to nature a little bit more and to traditional sort of garden sort of flowers it does certainly evoke that like it's a feeling isn't it like being surrounded even just by the flowers that you've popped on behind us but I'm also thinking that if you're planting these flowers like there's bending over, collecting them or harvesting them. Like there's there's hard work to get them to the stage that they are, you know, these beautiful green flowers. It doesn't just in vases, sorry, it doesn't just happen like this. And so what's that that process? If I was, you know, if you have one of your paddocks here, which we're about to go and have a tour of, which I'm very excited to see, like what's the the process actually in the paddock? Well, I guess flower farmers say it's not all linen aprons and pretty filly flowers. So <laughs> I guess it involves lots of mud <laughs> in the Macedon Ranges, especially in the middle of winter. Yeah, so it is hard work growing flowers. And I guess it's a long-term thing too. Growing flowers is not a short-term sort of project. It's sort of a long-term investment, especially if you're growing things like king proteas, if you're growing things like peonies, which really don't flower until the third year, that's when you get your first bloom. So things like uh, dahlias are a little more quicker. So generally put your tuber in within eight weeks, you've got 
a flower. So that's sort of a quicker sort of thing, but it's not easy and it's, yeah, hard work, like you were saying, slogging through mud, digging through weeds, not all pretty flowers, but then you get this beautiful product at the end and it becomes quite addictive, especially the dahlias you sort of think, oh, no, it's hard to maintain because once things grow as well, you've got to maintain them. So watering, constant watering, weeding, you know, keeping things tidy. Cockies can be a pain around here. So nipping buds of the flowers. So uh, the cockies were really bad this year in my dahlias. And I sort of, on the advice of another flower farmer from Bendigo, I got some cocky scare tape, which I'd never heard of. It's like a reflective sort of rainbow, I guess, coloured shimmering sort of tape that you tie to a garden stake and it, it crinkles in the wind and scares the birds away. So that's worked. With the all the rain and the flooding we had last year as well, it's been a really bad season for snails and slugs. So I've never really had snails or slugs in my garden at all, never had to bait, never had to put anything out. And then uh, this year one whole bed of dahlias was wiped out by snails, like hundreds and hundreds of snails. And obviously I don't like to put down bait because we have the dogs and the cats and then they also, lizards can eat the snail bait as well and it kills the native wildlife. Another grower in this fabulous little community, I asked for some tips. She suggested I put out beer traps which is just a little container with a hole in the top filled with beer and then the slugs and the snails are attracted to the beer and then that does something and, yeah, kills them. So that seems to have worked a little bit. So And so you haven't actually used any chemicals? No. So most of the flower farms around here, which is another fabulous thing and why the flowers look so amazing and so fresh, is that they uh, have no chemicals, no preservatives because we're picking up the product you don't need any preservatives, any chemicals. And so then you get beautiful fragrance, which perhaps if you buy imported flowers, they're normally lacking in fragrance. Yeah. So, well, certain flowers are obviously more fragrant than others, but you find with organically grown flowers, they retain that fragrance more. So. Yeah. Wow. And so with this trend going, like, where do you see it in the future? Will it continue trending that way? I know you were talking to me before about different like sustainability, environmental focus and changing displays so there's no foam and no sort of plastics and carcinogens. Is it going to continue trending that way? Like what are people wanting? Yeah, so there's a huge, well, not so much of a trend, but there's a huge shift in the floristry industry at the moment. I guess it's similar to food crops to get rid of floral foam and to use more sustainable floristry techniques, also to to reduce flower miles. So I guess to make things more environmentally friendly, so to really promote and to try and buy locally sourced seasonal flowers, things that are in season, things that are close by, but then also to uh, try and eliminate floral foam and to use other sustainable floristry techniques like reusing chicken wire, using floral frogs. And I guess um, also, I guess, educating consumers and buyers about perhaps what they're buying, where their flowers have come from, if they've if they're imported, and trying to, I guess, shift the consumers to buying locally grown seasonal flowers that are um, grown and created using more um, sustainable floristry techniques. Yeah, so there's real like marketing education aspect to it. And so as consumers, like what do you suggest? Like what should we be 
aware of if we are purchasing flowers. So at the moment, flowers aren't labelled at all. So even at markets, it's often difficult to tell what's imported and what's locally grown. So I would suggest, especially with Valentine's Day coming up, to ask your florist what an alternative is to perhaps imported red roses, to ask them what they would suggest if you have a flavourite flower, to chat to them and then they can sort of make something up. So there's lots of alternatives to things. There are lots of great Australian grown flowers. So if you still wanted that traditional look of red roses. You don't have to necessarily get the red imported roses. We have lots of great Australian rose growers like Nude Blooms and Grandiflora, which do amazing roses. And we're lucky in Australia, roses are still in season at the moment. Um, So you can still get that look or go for something totally different. So there is more of a shift to moving on from that traditional sort of look as well to something totally different. So going for something like, you know, the beautiful dahlias, which are really abundant at the moment and are like, wow, they're just so gorgeous. And if you want that red colour, you can still get that red colour or you can get, you know, beautiful pinks and purples and all different sort of hues and tones and shapes and sizes. Do you know who's setting the trend? Like I think of flowers and I think of like Netherlands and and places like that. Are those countries really setting, you know, I guess the tone? Are we are we copying off people? I think Australia has its own floral style and floral design. So, yeah, there's obviously some fabulous, really world-renowned floral designers in Australia that are really setting the trend and leading the way. But there's also some other countries, like I'm a fan of New Zealand florists as well. I just like they have a real wild sort of style with lots of texture and which really appeals to me. But I guess, yeah, everyone has their own sort of style and And so for anyone who is maybe looking to try the hand, like even if it's just in their garden, what's the best piece of advice that you have for for growing flowers? I always think it's just a trial and error. So the best advice I can give you is just give it a go. You might be put off by the amount of time things take to grow, but the best way to start something is to just do it. Put it in now. Time goes quickly. Starting with something like something that's relatively quick growing, like sunflowers, cosmos. The dahlias is a great one to start with because they're fairly quick growing. You literally just put a tuber in the ground and then you get this amazing product at the end. So that's one I always recommend to people to start with. If you're in a different sort of area, I always say just go for a wander, look what people have growing in their gardens. Generally, what's growing in the local parks and in people's garden is what grows well in your area. So I would say to use that to help you choose what you should plant in your area. Yeah. And that feels like you're doing, it's a really great conduit Well, here on this place where you've got the livestock, the flowers, the crop, and for you, this creative space where you can do something that you love and build those relationships with the people around you. So really excited to go out on farm now, get in the paddock and and have a look for ourselves. So Liv, thank you so much for this chat and being on the Humans of Agriculture podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Millie. Well, That's it for another episode from us here at Humans of Agriculture. We hope you're enjoying these podcasts and, well, if you're not, let us know. Hit us up at hello at humansofagriculture.com. Get in touch with any guest recommendations, topics or things you'd like us to talk and get curious about. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Rate, subscribe, review it. Any feedback is absolutely awesome and we really do welcome it. So look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane. We'll see you next time. Say up.